God, thank you for what we've experienced so far in worship. And may you continue to bless the reading of your word, that it and it alone would change lives, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. When Jesus Christ enters our lives, there is a change. We cannot know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord and live like we used to live before we made Him the Lord of our lives. That's why they call it a conversion. That's why they call it a salvation. And over the course of the past few weeks, as we've looked at this living series, we've looked at the fact that when we are a Christian, when we become a Christian, the old has gone and the new has come. We are, the Bible says, a new creature, a clean slate. And as we take that further today, we're going to be looking at not only the fact that we are changed, but folks, bottom line is changed people need to act differently. And then if we have Jesus Christ in our lives, people ought to see it, and they ought to see it in a few areas that Paul is addressing to the church today. That change that is in our life, it does not only affect us, but those around it. I always like the illustration of if you've ever been to a, a pool or a lake or something where the water is so still it looks like glass, and you just take one little pebble and throw it in there, and the ripples just just go forever. That's an awesome feeling. But the thing is that in our lives, sometimes all those around us are the pond, and we're the rock. That a lot of times people are living off of the ripples that we cause. And everyone in here has been the recipient of the ripples that someone else has caused. Because we all live in this world together. We are together. But up to this point, we have studied the difference between living the life that God has created for us. We've talked about the fact that we need to live that life and not just simply survive. And we've talked about God's motivating grace through Jesus Christ, that He loved us and He forgave us. And that kind of grace that only comes from Him should motivate us to serve Him. But today the rubber meets the road. And to possess the Christian life means that we will apply changes to areas in our lives. And our world is in a spiral pattern these days, going downward. And the majority of the reason is, is that the blatant attack on the God-ordained pattern of the family. Broken homes are now the norm instead of the exception. Many of you in here today are in broken homes or blended families. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It just means that the family unit, the way it was ordained by God from the very beginning of time, has, has changed over the years. And last time I checked, God's mind has not changed. His pattern has not changed. It doesn't mean it's bad, but it just means it's not what He designed. And our children are being targeted by evil people through drugs and things like human trafficking. And across the globe, there's some children even used as soldiers. So we see an attack on our family units. We see an an attack on the role that our family is supposed to play. We see an attack on our children. We see broken marriages, broken families, and broken children. Inside of the church and outside of the church. Again, remember, Paul is writing this to the church. He's not writing it to those people outside of the walls. He's writing it to you, and he's writing it to me. And Paul uses the next few passages that we're going to study to draw out what it looks like to be a true believer in a real world. 
Folks, we can sing hymns, we can shake hands, and we can read Bible passages, but if they have no effect on how we treat others, then we are just as fake and religious as the Pharisees that Jesus condemned. And as we look at these passages, I would just, I would ask that you look at it with an open mind to start with, because when the minute we read a few of these verses, I, I know that the hair on the back of your head is going to stand up, and, and because we're just, these word, the wording and the concepts, it's kind of hard for people to swallow these days. But folks, it's not me in my interpretation, it's God's Word. And I hope that by the end of this, you'll see how beautiful God's plan is. And the thing is, y'all remember, I remember as a kid, there was this toy, and it was like a, maybe an octo, octagonal shaped thing. It had like five or six different sides. Half of it was blue and half of it was red. And it had all these different holes in it, different shapes, right? And you had the yellow blocks. You remember that? And you had to shove it into that, shove it into that uh, mold. So you had to make sure you had the square block, put it in the square hole, or the, the circle in the circle, and all these different kind of things. And so if it didn't work, you couldn't just take it apart like a Rubik's Cube. Man, I can, I can solve a Rubik's Cube. I just had to take it apart and put it back together. But with that game, as we learned as little children, there are certain patterns and there are certain things that fit together. And it didn't matter how much I banged on that, that shape into the hole. It would not fit unless it was made for that. Boy, what a valuable lesson to learn as a child. Is that there is a pattern and there is an order of things. And it, the, the pattern and order we're talking about today is ordained by God. And, and the first thing we see is that living the Christian life will matter to your marriage. Living the Christian life will matter to your marriage. Look, we've talked about putting on Christ and receiving Christ and and salvation and, and all these high and lofty ideals, which they are important. But the gospel does not mean anything unless it applies to our life. And one of the first places it applies is in our marriages. It says in Colossians Chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. It says, Wives, be submissive to your husbands. Okay, go ahead. I I can hear it. I've counseled a lot of men and women getting married, and we always go over this passage, and I get the same reaction. The guy's going, huh? And the girl's often going, I am not going to submit anybody. My mama didn't do that, and no, 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 and so anyway, all of a sudden the defenses are up. But prom, I promise you, by the time we get to the end of this, you might see how beautiful this actually is. Okay, and so yes, wives be submissive to your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. Now, man, don't just quote that verse and say, "Well, you know what the Bible says, honey," don't you? Alright, this is not a weapon to be used. Because it says in verse 19, Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter towards them. Not even a root of bitterness. Folks, the, why is there such banging heads? And why is there such friction between the man and the woman in a relationship? Look, it can be something as simple as, uh, did you lift the seat before you used the bathroom? Or it could be something as, as, as difficult as, what about the bills this month? Or, or, you know, you don't love me anymore. I don't love you anymore. And it just get, people just get so sidetracked because they become bitter and they, they just, they don't see the beauty in this passage. And why is there such 
friction between the man and woman. Let me tell you why. Take just a moment and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to see the effects of the fall on the family. We'll get back to Colossians, but I think it's very important that you see the effects of the fall on the family. Let's start in verse 8. We see this is after they had eaten the fruit and they had fallen. God has pursued them and he asked them, where are you? They were hiding. And then it says in verse 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord, God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid themselves from the Lord among the trees of the garden. So the Lord called out the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then God asked, Who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Just a note here. Let's read what Adam's reply was. The man, Adam, with all the backbone in the world, said, Then the man replied, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some of the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. Boy, he threw her under the bus just flat, didn't he? I mean, he didn't take any responsibility. I want you to understand that before sin had crept into the relationship between the first husband and wife, they were united and they are one. But what sin did to their relationship, sin caused Adam to turn on his wife. And there, the wedge begins. There's where the splinter starts. That's the first crack in the marble. And we read on. Then the man replied, of course, as he said, it was a woman's fault. Nowhere does he say, well, yeah, I was there with her. But it says in verse 13, So the Lord asked the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, It was the serpent. He deceived me, and I ate it. So now, at least Eve didn't turn back on Adam. So Adam blamed Eve, and now Eve is going to blame the serpent. She says, It was the serpent. Neither one of them are taking responsibility. They both are playing the victim card. Then the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animals. You will move on your belly and and eat dust all of the days of your lives. Then he says, and here's the key, verse 15. Why are we? Why did Paul even have to address the roles of men and women in their relationship? And it's because of this verse right here. This is the verse that makes divorce lawyers and psychologists and everybody else a lot of money. Here it is. Here's why we have so much strife between men and women in relationships. It says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed, or another translation would say offspring, and her seed and offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So we see there that from the very moment, God is putting a a sense of jealousy between the man and the woman. The woman wants to roll in the head of the family. The man wants to roll in the head of the family, and they are at odds with one another. It was not like that until the root of sin in the garden. And we are still dealing with that today because we see that it's important to note that God's first institution after creation was marriage. 
And we see that in Genesis chapter 2. And sin destroyed the loving bond between man and wife. And also between the created and their creator. God's perfect pattern was upset. And folks, our culture suffers to this day from that curse. Wanting each one of us, either the male or the female, wanting to be the head of the relationship. I mean, think about it. You know what we have to thank for this verse, verse 15? If you've ever turned on the, the television in the afternoon and all these talk shows between Mary and Springer and all these other things that people watch, verse 15 gives them all the fuel that they need to have programming for the rest of their lives. It's this, this constant fighting towards one another. And in one decision, our shift was changed from serving God to serving ourselves. And that's what sin does. So in Paul's second letter to Timothy, he warns that the breakdown of the home will be a sign of the end times. There is no doubt when we look at what's happening with gangs and how families are defined and people are looking for that structure that is not there. We live in crazy times. So let's jump into the godly wife, okay? We're going to go ahead and talk about verse 18. In 1998, at the Southern Baptist Convention, I don't know if you remember this, but those present voted to add a biblical principle in their constitution. This was such a big meeting for the Southern Baptist Convention that papers like the New York Times was picking up on it. And uh, they wrote an article and they said that the nation's largest Protestant denomination, an increasingly conservative force among religious organizations, amended its essential statement of beliefs today to include a declaration that a woman should submit herself graciously to her husband in leadership, and the husband should provide for, protect, and lead his family. The national attention on this was just out of kilter. And even now, as you hear this verse, you're saying, I didn't know we were a backwoods 50 year, going back in time 50 years, we've evolved and all this. I understand, I hear that, I've heard that. But there again, be very careful how you interpret this passage. Because it's not just verse 819, excuse me, it's not just verse 18 that Paul is addressing. He's addressing the whole family. And the thing is, which was weird in this culture, because still at this time, women didn't have a huge role as far as rights go in this setting when Paul was writing this. So the fact that he mentions the women first was not the fact that they needed it more, but he was addressing the priority of the woman. See, there's all kinds of of women's... uh, organizations and groups that are are fighting for their rights. And hey, I'm all for that. Women do deserve rights, just as everybody else. But I want you to see that the first movement for women's rights were the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because before the gospel of Jesus Christ, women were seen as childbearers or as as chore givers or just a utilitarian type of concept. But when the gospel came in of Jesus Christ and said, we need to love everyone, we need to treasure those that God has placed with us, that is where the true movement began, is with the gospel. Paul was trying to give the woman in this passage a servant's perspective of where the woman serves the man graciously. And 
I'm going to come back to that because I want to make sure you get the full picture. Let's go on to the husband. In Colossians 3.19, Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter towards them. The type of love that Paul is talking about here is the agape love, meaning a sacrificial love. Yes, the wife is to submit to her husband, but the husband, though, is to submit to Jesus Christ. He says that in Ephesians 5.25. So just as the wife submits to the husband in his leadership, the husband is submitting to the Lord. I'm going to go ahead and tell you something, men. At the end of times, when we're judged for what we've done on this earth, God's not going to hold your wife accountable for what happened in your relationship. The man is the point man. And I'm sorry if that scares you. It doesn't mean that you are a dictator. It doesn't mean that you are a tyrant. But in any vehicle, someone drives and somebody rides. Now, I don't know about you, man, but I have a very good driving helper that sits beside me to let me know when I need to put on the brakes or when I need to slow down. And, and hey, that's fine. But ultimately, I'm at the wheel. And that is a, a big responsibility. And I understand that because wherever I take the car, that's where we're going to go. And I, and I take that position. But in my relationship with Donna, I know that ultimately I am trying to make her be the best that she can be as God has designed for her to be. I am her pastor. You are your wife's pastor, man. And then we are accountable to Christ himself. And so the measure of a man's love will not be the number of clothes that he puts on her back. It will not be the words that he gives her. But the true measure of a man's love for his wife will be the sacrifice that he demonstrates to make her happy and for her welfare. That's the kind of love that we're talking about. So understand this. Men, if you are doing what God has called you to do, the woman's going to want to follow you. She's going to want to be a part of what God is doing, not only in your life, but her life as well. But do not hold a bitterness towards your wife or your husband, because the root of bitterness can poison a marriage. I have seen marriage that have been struggling, and some even ended because of pettiness and bitterness. It's not worth it. Because bitterness gives Satan an open invitation to the marriage relationship. So the husband's love for a wife must have a servant perspective. The wife must have a certain perspe- a servant perspective, and the husband must have a servant perspective. And then we move on. We see that living the Christian life will matter to your children. In verses 20 and 21, it says, Children, obey your parents and everything. Boy, I tell you what, parents like it when the preacher preaches that one. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. But fathers, do not exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. Not only did God ordain marriage, God ordained children. What did he say? He said, go, be fruitful, and multiply. Go, make some babies, is what he said. And this was ordained by God. 
Before the fall, he commanded Adam and Eve to multiply. So the birth of a child allows a man and a woman to experience in a very small way what God did through creation when he just spoke us into existence. When he formed us out of a pile of dust and breathed his life into us. I can only imagine as a mother and a father are looking at that beautiful child thinking, we created this baby. Do you think that, parents? Or when you see that child, you think, that baby is half me and and half my spouse. You created this beautiful living being. And that is just a tenth of what God did for us when He created us in Genesis. But you, as a husband and as a wife, have an opportunity to be a part of that creation by creating these beautiful children. And these children have rights. Children have right, number one, to be born. Every child has that right. They have a right to be raised in a Christian home where they will be raised to love God and to fear Him. They have a right to have parents that will teach them the Bible and discipline them fairly. But also children have a responsibility as well to love their parents and, as the Bible says, to obey their parents. i got news for you. We're seeing this today in, in spades. A child that will not obey their parents will not obey anyone else either. Where the family has broken down and the fathers have remained silent and the mothers have been buddies instead of mothers and and daddies have been uh, best friends with their kid and not really discipline them and, and you know, you don't want to do anything, that's fine, do whatever you want to do as long as you're happy. You know, my main goal is to make my child happy. Well, you make them happy by raising them in the right way. But a kid that will not obey his parents won't obey authority. So you wonder why people are not obeying the government. You wonder why people are not obeying police officers. You wonder why people are not obeying other authorities that they're under. It's because they never had to and they're never going to. Because there was a breakdown somewhere. But here's the thing about children, if you haven't heard this before. Children don't create problems. They reveal them. Children don't create problems. They reveal them. If you look at verse 21, notice it says, Father, do not basically exasperate or do not chide your your children. Do not encourage them in in wrong ways. That word fathers there is not just for the men. It's, It's basically another word for parents. Parents do not cause undue stress on your kids. If a mother and father are not on the same page with the decisions, how many times has it been a child will go up to a parent and say, can I go spend the night at, at Susie's house? And they say, go ask your father. They go and ask the father. And the father says, what did your mother say? They said, ask you. And then so the father thinks about it. Okay. What has that child just remembered? I will go ask mom, but then I know dad will tell me what I want to do. Or even worse... They go to dad and dad says no. And they go to the mother and say, well, dad said I couldn't do it. And the mother says, well, go ahead. I'll, I'll talk to your father. That kid has just learned how to play his parents. We can't be like that. It's got to be a united front. But if the parent, the husband and the wife are united in their marriage, then the family, the mother and father will be united in the raising of their children. Folks, children need parents 
who have a servant's perspective. And I understand how it is. Is that you have this precious baby, and for the rest of your life, that baby will be your main concern. And you serve that baby. You work to provide for that baby. You feed that baby. You educate that baby. And then one day that baby will take care of you. But the third thing we see is that living the Christian life will matter not only in your marriage, not only in your children, but also in your work. He says, slaves obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as someone has done for the Lord and not for men. Then chapter 4 verse 1 says, Masters, supply your slaves with what is right and fair, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. This verse tells me that everyone has a boss. You go to work, you have a supervisor you report to, I guarantee you that supervisor has a supervisor. A CEO of a company answers to a board. The board answers to the stockholders. I mean, just everyone has a boss. Everyone has somebody that they work for. But, but servants in biblical times, slavery was, was established in Paul's day. And there were upwards of 60 million well-educated slaves that worked for people. They would educate the children of wealthy people. And they would, they would basically work to, to serve these masters. But Paul's application for today is working for fair wages. The principle Paul teaches is we need to apply it to our work ethic today. So what does that mean? If you call yourself a Christian, that means that when you go to work, you work the hardest you can to give glory to God. Oh, preacher, you don't understand the guy I work for. There's nothing in here that says if the boss is a jerk, you slack off. There's nowhere in there. Because it says, actually, that if we are working, we are working for the Lord. But our supervisor is giving us the paycheck. That's like, uh, I was talking to somebody the other day, and there's plenty of illustrations of this, to where they were saying, you know what, I went to work at this place, and we had a quota of, say, a hundred pieces a day, but I was doing two or three hundred pieces a day. So they fired me. And what? So yeah, because all the others that were doing a hundred pieces a day got mad that I was a go-getter. And so they worked to have me fired because I was making them look bad. That was the person whose character remained flawless. And those people, although they tried to, to push this person down, this person was working for the Lord. Yes, they got fired, but they left that place with character and a testimony. Look, when we work... Yes, we work for a paycheck. Yes, we work for a supervisor. And maybe you're on your own business. Maybe you are your own supervisor. I understand that. But ultimately, we work for the Lord. So, we've talked about marriage, we've talked about children, and we've talked about how we work. Well, 
We need to use our work to, to glorify God. So if I were going to wrap this up, I hope you're still with me and you're not still simmering on some of these points. Because like I said, this is, this is not my opinion. This is what Paul is writing. So how can we make something beautiful out of this? Let's talk about the word submission for a second. Submission. The word submission doesn't mean that you are subject to someone. It doesn't mean when I talked about the wives submit to your husbands and husbands submit to Christ, that does not mean that the woman is any less than the man. We say this in weddings all the time. It's the truth. Of all the bones for God to take from Adam to create Eve, which one was it? The rib. Why is that? Maybe because he had a bunch of other ones? I don't know. But I tell you what, with it being the rib, it meant that she would be right by his side. And she would also be close to his heart. She would never be under his foot. And she would never rule over his head. That's the type of submission, biblical submission we're talking about. Actually, the word submission is a military term that means to fall in order. Now, I know this from my time in the rescue service, and many of you that were in the armed forces, you'll understand this. You understand the, the concept of rank, right? You have privates and you have sergeants, and you, I mean, you have this whole hierarchy of, of leadership. Why do they have leadership? Why do people have titles in different ranks? It's because of this. It creates order, and it helps a team to work together. Now, just because somebody is a private, and someone else is a sergeant, it doesn't mean that one person is any less of a person or any more of a person. It just means in the order that they have been placed, this is their duties and responsibilities to carry out the mission. And so the beautiful pattern that God has given here is that the man leads, the woman follows the leads, and the children are raised up in an environment that is conducive to where there's no strife, and there is a a father and a mother trying to serve one another, and then also serve the children. And it's like they say a lot of times, that, that usually when you become a husband and a wife, there are a lot of things that you learned from your mother and father that will be a part of your marriage. I can think of the many kids that when you see uh, a husband and wife and they're they're kind of smiling at each other or pecking each other on the on the cheeks and all that kind of stuff, and the kids are like, "Oh, that's gross!" You know, don't be kissing mom in public. But what do they remember? They remember a father and a mother that were head over heels for each other. And so when they become married, they'll be the same way. And look, hey, I'm not naive. This is not 1950. Things have changed. We have blended families. Some of you have been in a family and it failed for one reason or another. The purpose of this passage is not to cast blame on those things. But what it does mean is it means where you are right now, this is the pattern that God has established. Whether it's your first marriage or your fifth marriage. Whether it's your biological kid or a stepkid or a foster kid. This 
is a pattern that works. If we go back to the other sermons last two weeks, if Christ is in you and you're wearing the clothes that came with your conversion, if you have the aspects of faith that come with your conversion, then it will look that way in your family. Some of you are single parents. You're having to be the mother and the father. That's okay. God will give you the strength to do that. If you're in a a blended relationship, that's okay too. Because the same blood that was shed for you and your spouse and your family is there to forgive and to heal and to move on. So what you can say is, okay, I tried in the past or, or we did well in the past, but what about now? I'm telling you, start from this day forward. If you want to have order in your life, you will follow the rank that God gave. And I'm sure I've said this before, and I'll close with this, on the whole thing of submission. Um, I do ask, when I'm counseling couples to get married, I, when we get to submission, I, I give them homework. I say, go pick a song that you love and dance to it. Go pick a song you love and dance to it. And why, why do you want to do that? Just do it. And then when they come back, I talk about verse 18 and 19 again. I said, who led in the dance? Well, he did. Why didn't you both lead? Well, we just stepped on each other's toes. In a relationship, one leads and one follows. And the beautiful music and the dance that follows that is blessed by the Spirit. Folks, we can have church all day long, but until our beliefs are seen... In our actions, it's just a pep rally. So I want you to know that God has got a specific plan for you and a plan for your family. And maybe many of you are here and you're doing that. But maybe there's some areas to where you need some help. The Bible is here for that. I'm here for that. And so in our invitation today, I'm just going to open the altars that where if you'd like to come pray for you, your family, your children, or maybe another family member, you can do that. Or if you'd like prayer with me, you can do that. Maybe someone wants to join this church. Or someone wants to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior because they've seen that the only way to bring organization to their life is to have a relationship with Him. That's the invitation. You come to receive Him. You can come to pray. You can come for encouragement, whatever it may be. Would you please stand during this invitation?